One thing I can't get enough of as a people leader is feedback. Do you love feedback as much as I do? If so, please consider writing a review of All Hands and rate us wherever you listen. Give whatever it is that you're working on oxygen and sunlight. And the best people to give you feedback on that is your teammates. And why not share something with them? Because they might pick something out that you might not have noticed before you get it out into the world. And so that trust is constantly back and forth throughout the organization. Welcome back to season two of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. If you were with us last season, you know we focused on sitting down with C-level execs to chat about how people strategy is good business strategy. But this season, we're doubling down. We're not only talking to CEOs and founders, but a wide range of people leaders, from heads of people to chief diversity and inclusion officers, to really get into some of their core practices, principles, and beliefs when it comes to putting your people first. Today, we have not one, but two very special guests with us, Elias Torres and Dina Upton of Drift. Elias is the co-founder and CTO at Drift, formerly holding leadership roles at HubSpot, Performable, and IBM. He's a technologist who understands that people are at the heart of all products. Also joining us today is Drift's chief people officer, Dina With over 20 years of experience in HR, she believes in enabling all people to reach their potential and wakes up every day thinking about what she can do to deliver on this intent. Elias, Dina, welcome to All Hands. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. We are absolutely thrilled to have you both on the show. First time CTO on an HR podcast. Uh, I'm thrilled. You know what, though? That's what really is going to set this one apart. I agree. It's it's a real treat when we get both a founder and a head of people together on the show. So to get things started, though, I would love to begin our conversation with some very quick introductions. Elias, uh, you have a pretty impressive background. You've had a lovely run as a tech leader, and your story leading up to today is incredibly rich. Can you please share with us a little bit about your journey and what eventually drove you to start Drift? Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. The words that I use to describe my journey is that I use the words, the phrase, the American dream. Really, uh, I came in 1993 to the United States uh, as an immigrant Latino, and it started truly from the bottom, right? My first job to support and help my mother was we were cleaning offices. We were, you know, taking the garbage out and while I was going to high school and then applied for college. And many, many, many years later, fast forward through a, a wonderful world of technology that has really embraced me and that I have found people that have helped me all the way through it. You know, they believed in me, they gave me a chance, they gave me the opportunity and they gave me the room to, to go for it. Uh, has allowed me to, to become an entrepreneur and to be in a position where I can create companies, I can create jobs and, and really share that same opportunity to everybody at the company. And, that, and I think that that's kind of what I would say led me to, to start Drift because I realized what an amazing opportunity we have to create space for people to grow their careers and, and achieve great things. It's the most rewarding part of, of my journey, um, how many people, uh, their lives have changed, that I've seen it over and over. I mean, it's, it's maybe over a thousand people that I could see like, 
hire them fresh out of college, for example, and and they go on becoming, you know, vice presidents, uh, leaders, uh, founders, entrepreneurs, investors, and and it's like I don't know. I don't know what else that could be that that is better than than helping people achieve their highest potential. It is. I agree. It's one of the most rewarding parts of the job, and I. I know so many people look up to you and uh, you're, I mean, I know this sounds silly to say, but your humility really shines through. Um, I think that the authenticity that you bring to your work and to the role um, and and then extending that that opportunity to others and knowing how important that is to you uh, really has set you apart as a as a leader as a tech leader uh, here in in our industry. So thank you for that. Let's talk to your your other half here for a second, Dina. Uh, you have quite an impressive background yourself. You have a lovely run in HR, and uh, you know being uh, a people leader myself for many years, I know how many people also look up to you. I will ask you the same question. Can you please give us a little bit more color into your background and what you brought you to Drift? Absolutely. So I started my journey as an engineer. So I did C++ coding, so I'll date myself. But um, <laughs> but that's how I started my journey and then um, was sort of introduced to the people function through a founder in San Francisco at a startup and, and caught the bug that way. So um, I, I say I have I have serious FOMO, so the people function and being in that central function is is, is suits me. But I, you know, I, I met Elias uh, in the process. I, I worked with our CFO at Drift at my prior company. He introduced me to both Elias and David. And what they're trying to do at Drift, what we're trying to do at Drift, is inspirational. And Elias's energy and David's energy was contagious. And so I'm really excited about what we're trying to build at Drift. And I think it's one of the things that we're going to talk about, about building an equitable company and working closely with two founders that are inspirational is is why I'm here. So I feel like it was meant to be. And I, I love that you also have a technical background. And so we we have a people leader with a technical background and we have a technical leader who cares about people. This feels like like a match made in in culture heaven. Very, very quickly, though, another question that I, I often ask our guests on this show, is there anything else about your identity that you'd like to share with our listeners before we get started? Yeah, I am a mother of three. So I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. They are um, they love drift just as much as I do. So um, that keeps me busy. Nice. I'm also an avid runner. So there's some tidbits about me. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate that. Elias, anything you would like to to add on about your identity? I mean, I, I, I guess I'll carry on on the parenthood. I'm a father of three. I just uh, have a recent 18-year-old daughter. She's going to study computer science and design. She was going to study design and surprise me with co- computer science, I think. And I just smiled when she said that and she accepted to start at Northeastern. I'm really, really excited, proud of her. Congratulations. And I have two young boys after that, 16 and 14. And part of what I would say my identity has become is that I just realized that I have a responsibility to the Latino community, right? And to underrepresented people to be their voice and to say and speak up things that they're not, they don't feel comfortable in the industry. And and now I'm at a point where I think that that's more important than me saying the correct thing. And and, and I, I have to take the risk and, 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 and speak up and defend them and show them and, and share my learnings and share opportunities with them. So I think that that's really what's, what motivates me, not just uh, a drift, but beyond drift. This question makes me so happy. Uh, it really just kind of adds a little bit of extra texture and color to 
the the incredible folks that come on the show. And I think that it really sets the groundwork for for other parts of our conversation as we talk about how we build culture within companies. So much of of what we bring as leaders to uh, our companies, you know, is reflected in that. Our companies help shape us and we help shape our companies through our lived experiences and through our identities. So now, because we have the two of you, I would love to learn a little bit more about your dynamic. So the two of you together. Uh, Elias, we'll start with you. I would love to learn more about your relationship with Dina. What is, what is, you know, an everyday experience look like with the two of you? How do you prefer to best partner? So <laughs> like the dynamics between David and I are like this. David says that together, if either of us just ran the company alone, David says, if I made decisions, it would take me forever to make decisions. That's David, right? But if, if you made all the decisions, we would run off the cliff. Yeah. It's just, I'm just so fast, right? Yeah. So that's the, and so together we balance because I either speed him up or he slows me down, right? Dina is faster than I am. <laughs> yeah, Dina uh, is faster. So, so I it, did it's, not it's, expect it's, that. Absolutely. She leaves me in the dust. And my, so, I get myself into trouble sometimes though. <laughs> so we, so we flip, so we flip and I, I become the patient one and I, and I'm like, Dina, we're going to take a deep breath and we're going to sleep on this. I, she, I, but I, but I love that. I, I really appreciate it. I couldn't work with someone. I, in, uh, the only one I have patience for is, is David, but I, I couldn't work <laughs> with someone in people that would want to do things and, and take forever. Right. This is a fast moving space. And Elias knows, especially right now, especially right now, talent is, it's, it's, you gotta, I mean, you have to move quickly on some of these decisions. So it's, it's something that we do. I've learned that the hard way, even before now, right. It's like uh, Paul English mentor of mine, you know, taught me early days of HubSpot that the hiring process should only take seven days from the moment you hear a name to the moment you have an offer in front of them. I've learned that on some roles, it's taking me longer than that. Uh, it's taken me a year to hire someone and I have yeah. to be more patient, but it's about speed, right? And and doing the, the due diligence, doing the proper work, doing the proper research. But the same is with, with people's decisions and actions right now. We're at a very, very unique time has never been seen before, in my opinion, right? I, I saw 1999, I saw 2000, I saw 2008, I saw the beginning of the pandemic. I, I've seen, you know, tough times. But now we're in a unique time where there's just so much t- tiredness from the pandemic that people have been disconnected, isolated, don't feel they belong to the community. There's a lot of companies hiring, just focusing on money. People need help trying to figure out how to make the best decisions for their families, for their careers. And if we don't act quickly, people could make the wrong decision um, if you're not there to to be able to to work that through that with them. Yeah, it's true. It's one of the things, Caitlin, that we've been fortunate with both David and Elias is their involvement in the people operations. So recruiting is just top of mind right now because we're hiring and it's so competitive. But you know, I I could call Elias at 1030 at night and say, so this candidate really needs to talk to you. He'd be on the phone in a minute. So like, they care about talent and, and bringing the right talent into the organization. And you and individuals have a lot of choices right now. So they're looking for those organizations that are authentic and really set the stage for what you're going to do when you get into the organization. And talking to a founder helps cement that for our people. So 
I feel fortunate that Elias places such a priority in talent and attracting talent. Um, it makes my job a lot easier. And it sounds like it allows you to to run even faster. So knowing that, that you're a runner, uh, this actually is, is making a lot of sense now to me. See, it's all coming together. <laughs> and I think that being in technology, we are really the tip of the spear in trying to sort through and understand what's happening economically, what's happening from an innovation standpoint and how we're helping push um, our industry forward and have that accountability. Uh, so thank you both for your work in that. Going back to the two of you and some of the the bits and pieces of the the fabric of your culture, it sounds like you have a really great dynamic. I, I can see it. I can feel it. But let's chat a little bit about how you're actually putting this into practice. So not only are you moving fast, you know, with, with your people decisions because the the environment is changing and moving very, very quickly and evolving around us, but let's talk about maybe some of your core principles. So Elias, I, I hear you have eight leadership principles. Can you talk a little bit about those? I'm curious to learn about, you know, how they were developed, maybe how they've changed over time. Uh, anything you'd like to share with us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'll give you the the real, like the answer, the honest like answer behind the scenes, because this is for people leaders, right? But the truth is that the founders have an, uh, a tremendous amount of responsibility in setting the culture, right? It's like, it, it really starts from 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 us. And, and so the way that we would do it is by explaining and, like David and I are opposite personalities, but at, at a core, we have a major overlap in the way that we work, in the way that we make decisions, in our values. And, and really the principles is an externalization of that. Because what we're trying to do at the beginning is like we were trying to instill in people our way of working. For example, uh, I remember uh, at Performable, right? I was on the phone with a customer. We were about 10 people. And I was on the phone with this customer and I'm helping them through fix all this stuff. And I hung up and I had someone next to me and I said, and I said something bad about the customer, right? I said, this customer is, is, doesn't get it, right? And uh, that was the last time I said that David jumped on me and said, never say that again. The customer is number one, yeah. right? And, and I was just being like, oh, an engineer, I understood better. And that lesson just hit me and I would never forget it. I can tell you the desk where we were sitting, Amesbury, Massachusetts, and we had desks facing each other. I had this person um, works at HubSpot today. Uh, he was interviewing uh, that day at, 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 for the company. And I said that, he goes, you have, a, you have a customer, you have someone interviewing. That's not how it works. And, and so I learned that lesson that day. And from that day, I served the customers. And I'm, I'm a customer service person. Like I, my first job at IBM, I was at the help desk support, yeah. right? And so it's like, I'm not, I'm not shy to it, but I made a comment. I made a big, big mistake that I, that I said I would never repeat. And now I share that lesson. And so that reveals itself into principle number one at Drift, which is put the customer at the center of everything that you do. And so instead of trying to explain that story that way, necessarily, it's a little intense, right? We decoded them and we put them in writing and not just words, but we put them into actionable sentence with verbs. And we created these cards where we created paragraphs and questions for people to understand them better. And the idea was to separate them from us and then, you know, becoming their own identity, right? Which are the drift leadership principles that everybody can see them because we wanted to separate them from our persona. So that's my advice for founders, right? You don't want to always be like something is always a struggle in a company. Well, this is what DC says. This is what ET says. And that is just so hard to get rid of. 
And so the principles, what was the intent, right? Uh, and so we have eight principles that have stood the test of time because we worked at four companies together. We knew them really well. We knew that we wanted them. Uh, they haven't needed any changing. They don't need too much expansion on the sentences. They could be ambiguous. They could be a lot of questions. People weaponize them sometimes. But uh, we believe in them and we, don't, we, we will add more, but I don't think we have had to change them. Uh, and so it's something that we definitely encourage people. And you also have to do it at the right time. I, so I think sometimes companies try to do it at the beginning. We try to do it at the beginning of Drift. And we didn't know each other yet. We didn't know. We wanted to see what kind of people we're attracting and then see how we, you know, what we could put and, and write down. Right? It, it makes a big difference. People really know that we, we mean them and they feel them when they join right, the company. I've talked to so many different leaders and so many different people leaders uh, over the course of this podcast and really talking about principles and values is a fascinating uh, topic because not any one group has done it um, the same way. And yet, uh, obviously, if they're on our podcast, they're doing something right. Um, and so I think it's really interesting to hear the the note particularly about using verbs. I think is is a really poignant one. And so making sure that things are actionable, that people know what these things look like live in action between us dynamically uh, that live and breathe um, in our organization, not just that sticker on your laptop. And we, we thought about every one of them, right? For example, so it's like put the customer at the center of everything, right? Right. Stay scrappy. People tend to stop being scrappy, you know, as the company grows. So it's, it's there on purpose that you that you remember to not, you know, stop being scrappy. And that's not just frugal, but it's really about being resourceful, right? Which is comes from our immigrant roots of like not needing everything, you know, well-funded or set up. We're always going to be uh, competing with larger, larger competitors, right? The biggest companies in the world will never have the same magnitude of resources. And so we can do more with less. Uh, and so, you know, deliver daily results. Be a curious learning machine. You have to be you know, into learning. And so like every one of those, like we carefully chose each verb uh, for people to to meditate on and, and, and realize and take it to heart, right? And, and we recommend people to think about one and say how they're going to grow that year on that area because we can all grow in every one of those. Weaving your, your principles and your values into performance management is also a trend that we see of, of some of the, not only the top performing companies that are producing outsized results, but, but from the companies that people love. There, there is a very, very clear uh, connection and a very tangible connection between those that, that live and breathe their values and communicate them effectively, but also give the tools and the developmental tools to help people live those better every single day. I know that that a lot of this lives and starts and, and the ideation is at the, the leadership level. Uh, but now, Dina, I, I know that one of the principles is uh, practice extreme ownership. I know that you believe in this very, very much. The way I understand it is that you want all employees to feel like an owner of the company. And so much so, the way I understand it is that you actually share out board meeting notes uh, and you record and share your executive meetings. You seem to be way ahead of this whole hashtag build in public trend. But so why is this so important to drift? As Elias mentioned, we spend a lot of time bringing talent into the organization, right? Talent density and finding the right people at Drift that will thrive in those leadership principles that Elias just talked to are really important to us. But we also trust the team that's here with information about our customers, about 
annual recurring revenue, about product launches. So we're, we practice extreme transparency. And with that, you, you create owners in the company. So you're trusting them with information. They're going to they're gonna trust you and work really hard. And so we do, we share our board um, meeting notes. We share executive meeting details. We start and end the week. We put our arms around the week with our employees with what we call Monday metrics on Monday and Friday show and tell. And that's a time for us to come together as an organization and talk about what's working and what's not working. And so when you do that, you create individuals or you establish individuals that understand your business so they can talk to your customers intelligently about what's happening in your business. So there isn't an excuse for anyone across Drift to not have an overarching knowledge of what's happening at the high-level metrics across the business. So it's that idea of extreme transparency. And then you have individuals that really own problems and are problem solvers and want to solve problems because they have confidence in the information that we're sharing with them. And it's a big circle. They'll refer more talented people to Drift um, and they'll treat their customers in the way that we're treating them. So that's what I mean. And that's why that leadership principle is so important for us. It's like a context uh, flywheel, right? But there's so many organizations that are scared to share information and you wonder why, like give whatever it is that you're working on oxygen and sunlight. And the best people to give you feedback on that is your teammates, your colleagues. And why not share something with them? Because they might pick something out that you might not have noticed before you get it out into the world. And so that trust is constantly back and forth throughout the organization. And Elias in DC set the stage for that, right? Like when we do what we call Friday show and tell, we bring the whole organization together. We also haven't like asked leaders anything. What's on your mind? There's no, there's no bad question. What can we talk about? You know, when we were in the midst of COVID, we were sort of talking about what was happening across the business, what's happening with our team. And we were incredibly transparent about what we were working through. How many people big is your organization at this point? We're close to 500. That's a fun size. You, you can really get some, some big things done with 500 folks. <laughs> Elias is pulling his hair out. Speak it's a big for yourself. <laughs> yeah. We're in the messy middle right now. A mentor of mine told me that there's people for three faces of the company, especially leaders, right? Face one, which are those that the passionate people that come and create, find that product market fit and get a company off to hyper growth. Then there's phase two leaders that would prepare a company for IPO, right? And then, you know, phase three is post-IPO. And what we've seen and, and what we keep supporting Dina is to keep building the team. We're at a stage where you you got to keep finding the talent and increasing the density of people that, that know how to support people at, at this scale, right? And so when it comes in training, it could be onboarding, it could be um, business partners, recruiting, and that's something that Dina's team has been growing and, and we're seeing the benefits of that. It's, it's just a huge difference from when we were in phase one to now we're in phase two. What, what those people and their impact is in every one of those areas. Dina, I was, I was going to ask you the question, you know, you've been with Drift now for, for a handful of years. I'm, I'm curious for all that has remained the same, meaning, you know, your principles and the things that, that you've been able to scale together. What has, what has changed? What is different for you and your team? This year has been a constant transformation, I guess is the right word. 
So, you know, our adaptability to what's happening outside of our walls has been incredibly important. Um, I think the ability for our organization to be agile as we were working through the pandemic and then working through all the social injustice components that happened uh, outside of Drift, I think has been, that's what's been different. I didn't anticipate that. I don't think anyone else anticipated that. But when you have a leadership team that really cares about the well-being of the organization and the well-being of their families, you can migrate those things together. And so that's what's been, I, I knew that walking in, I mean, when I, I told you that it was really a contagious conversation when I talked to Elias about, about joining Drift, you get tested during these situations. And so I have a really supportive executive team that people issues and re- people challenges and recruiting challenges. It's not just on my shoulders, it's on their shoulders as well. And so I knew that that was going to happen, but seeing it happen has been has been the biggest thing that has been refreshing for me. I appreciate that very much um, on behalf of all people leaders, <laughs> how important it is to have not only the, the buy-in, uh, buy-in is, is one thing from your leadership team, but real partnership is very different. Working with two underrepresented minority founders, like DE&I has been on the agenda of many organizations, right? But it is who Elias is. It is who DC, it's in their DNA. It's it's who they are. And so that agenda has been important to them when we were four people. Um, And so I I do feel like the the efforts that we put in place around DE&I are authentic and genuine because it's how David and Elias think. And so I'm grateful for their leadership in that area and then their ability to lead the organization in that way. So um, we've been lucky. Elias, you've you've already shared a little bit about why this is so important to you. Um, Dina, I love that you've pointed out that that it's been that way from day day zero for the organization and it's only grown. This com- and when I say this, I mean this commitment to building all of those those components of, of D, E, and I into things. Can we talk a little bit more about the shift that that COVID also brought with us about in-office culture? At least what I've heard is that you have felt very strongly about having an in-office culture in the in the early years of, of your career and building companies. And I'm curious, what or how were you together able to adapt to this remote work culture during COVID? I hated it. By May, I was losing my mind. Uh, but I think we, we had to, the, the, the way that we adapted was because Number one top priority was the well-being of our communities, and we and we had to all do our part. Right, we were hesitating, but there was a moment where it's like, this is real. Everybody, like, there was no not even a time for for a fire drill. We just basically sent everybody home, right? Uh, and we said, don't don't come back. Maybe we come back in a couple of weeks. At the beginning, it was great because we just like we got to do this because that's what they, that's what our communities are asking us. That's what our team, that's what our company needs from us. And so we, we, I was doing well, but then I do, I did realize that it was too extreme. And for me being an extrovert person where I draw my energy from people and where I can give more to them when I, when I give my whole self to them in, in person with the ups and downs, with the extremes and with the highs and the lows, that's who I am. It, people get less of that energy, right? And they weren't, were out and they burn out. And so I, I was hating it, but I've come around, right? I think David and I, when we first started Drift, we had this major discussion and David is a big binary person, right? He's like, do we, we're either in office or we're all remote. And so we, we debated that heavily and we chose to, to go in office. 
And it was extreme, I would say. You know, there was part of our culture of people, people, some people loved it. And then some people were like hating it, right? They felt like we were like, oh, we can only do work in office. And so that was a big evolution for us personally, because we had no, no, no true way of trying it out because we were in hyper growth. And there was, it, it was complicated, and, and, and David and I were stuck on, like, how do we transition and how do we open it up? But the pandemic forced us, forced our hand, made us go through that one-way door. We saw that it was absolutely doable, and our company has gone through major, major um, areas of transformation throughout the whole company and our evolution as a team, as a company, as a, a service and our customers. And so I'm really now, we're 100% bought in, right? It can be done. But I do not believe that being 100% remote and never seeing anyone works for us as human beings, no matter what personality type. And so what we have adopted is a digital first policy where we will respect first the digital option. And, and we, we want to perform as much as we can of all of our operations uh, remotely, but evolve and figure out. I, I don't want to call it hybrid. I don't think I agree with David 100%. Hybrid does not work. It's messy. Uh, it, it's just a, a cop-out where people say, oh, we'll do hybrid. And it's like, no, it's not hybrid. It's like you have to be one or the other, whether you choose to accept it. However, what we do have to figure out is how do we spend time together based on our needs, our, our, our location, our families, our lives, and how do we blend that in with uh, the emotional needs or the personal needs or the communication? So how do we build stronger relationships with the team that is distributed throughout the whole, you know, not only the United States, but the world. And so that's the journey that we're in. And I don't want us to claim that, oh, we figure out digital first. We're in the midst of that. Uh, we're 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 100% in alignment. I'm glad to hear that you all are evolving together through it. I think it's interesting to say that that hybrid is a cop-out. I'm, I'm Sorry, trying to process I, I, that. Line. I don't hold back. I don't hold back. This is the real conversation, right? Uh, because no one has said it that way. And I, the thing that occurred to me first and foremost was through my my people leader lens, which is, you know, whether whether you are digital first or in office or or the cop out hybrid, it's it's going to impact every single thing your team does. It, it touches literally every part of your your work um, and your team's work, and so. Let's get the real, real from you. We got it from Elias. <laughs> like, what, what is this really, ex- what has this big experience been like for you? And, and how do you feel about the, the great cop-out? <laughs> well, I think, I think Elias is right. I think that the foundation of it is really important. So the reason why we went to a digital first model is because we wanted to set a foundation on equity. We wanted to make sure that anyone at yeah. Drift, if you're in quote unquote headquarters, which we don't have, we don't have that idea of headquarters anymore, but if you're in the Boston office or if you're in Texas or you're in Albuquerque, wherever you are, you have an equal opportunity for advancement. So the problem with hybrid models is as hard as you try, it's always the person that's sitting next to you that gets the next big assignment, or you see somebody in the office and you convey something that happened in a meeting just earlier before. And so I think this idea, this like mindset idea of digital first for all of our people leaders is really important. You've got teams spread out all, all over the place. Now for us, spread out all over the globe, how you onboard them, how you teach them, how you train them, how you give them opportunities, how you advance them. It's about outcomes, not not desk time or FaceTime. And I think 
that idea is really important to solidify. And Elias is right. Like we're on that journey right now. Teams want to see each other. And so we're not, we're digital first, we're remote first, but we're not remote only and we're not digital only. So we're trying to figure out the cadence of how we get teams together. Because I do think human interaction and people interaction is really important, but you don't need it every single day. That's the piece that we are, and you have to teach, you have to teach people leaders about how to do it. It's harder. Digital first is harder. It requires preparation. It requires more formalized communication, more formalized mentorship. You have to think about it. You can't just bump into somebody as you did before. So it's, it's, um, it's harder, but I, I think it's, for us, it's worth the investment. I'll add a little bit there, right? I think that, you know, our approach is, is going to be people, be more conversational, right? Come to the spaces, use them as you need them. We don't want to come up with decrees of like Wednesdays, you have to be in the office or you right. choose one day a week, you choose three days a week, you choose five days a week. We're saying to people, use the spaces as you see fit, uh, but respect people that are not in the office, right? Always be inclusive. Do, do not make it a routine, right? To to make the, the meetings in person, right? And think about about ways that you can make sure that what you're doing is open for everybody to to participate, right? That's really kind of like the basis of it. People have so many questions and we're like, instead of forcing that transition, we're just basically letting people feel comfortable. For example, we have zero mandatory in-person events for 2021. We want to make sure that everybody understands that meetings are optional, but for the people that seek them and want them, to figure out how to try them and, and, and experiment with it. So those are kinds of the things that, that we're doing. I think that really... Uh, we, we see companies that are doing like a very fast turn on the exit. They work digital first and they're going like, oh, no, you're coming back to the office. I know a lot of companies doing that. And we now, that's my biggest shift. I'm doing the opposite. It's like, I'm never going to go back to that, right? And, and I'm learning myself how to take advantage of that and model it and be with the family. We spent some time in the Florida office uh, with Florida people and with my family because they were able to do remote learning. I come here, I can see David. I find ways to to fill my cup, right? And I'm, I, I, I want to acknowledge that and show to people that it, it can be done and we need to learn how to adapt and build relationships outside of work. We want to really support the whole selves of our, of our employees, right? And, and, and really respect mental health and not just be like, just work, work, come here. That's the routine. It's like, we want people to build a much more complete lives that, it, that just don't revolve about going and coming to work. Yet, have the joy of be building great relationships with people at work and, and, and help and grow together and accomplish the mission together, which is, you know, to build the new face of corporate America through our diversity. And, and so we, we want to keep supporting that, but it's, it's, uh, we got to keep it, you know, focused on the vision and the mission and not on like the details of how many days you work at the office. Are you ready for rapid fire? Don't overthink it. Have you ever actually drifted in a car like Fast and the Furious style? I have. I have many times, many times, many times. Yeah. Pendulum turns, you know, everything. Little e-brake action. Okay. Okay. Dina, you take this one. What item sitting on your desk right now in front of you sparks joy and why? My picture of my husband. He's a great partner. I love that. Okay. Elias, uh, what is your favorite productivity hack right now and why? Oh my God, productivity hack. Kim, uh, Kim is my, my EA and she is nice. my best hack ever. <laughs> Shout out to Kim. I love it. Okay, a few more. 
These aren't going to be as easy, but I'd still would like you to please think quickly about them. So Elias, company culture, family or sports team? <laughs> I like both. That's the drift way. Uh, with sports team, because because we have to produce, we have to win. And, and family, for the people that want to feel like family, I want to treat them like family. Not that. everybody wants it. Excellent caveat. Dina, one practical thing that leaders or HR teams can do today to create a more inclusive workspace. Listen. For both of you, and, and let's answer one at a time here. Um, when was the last time you were deeply proud of something you have accomplished? I, I'm deeply proud of the you know acceleration that we've had on the recruiting side at Drift. I think we've built a really great recruiting team and we're now seeing the benefits of that. Excellent. Elias. Yesterday, I had two conversations with, with people at Drift, people early in their careers. Uh, one of them, we, we talked about their future, their families, uh, and I got to share a lot of, of what I've experienced, you know, and, and help them make a decision to stay at Drift. And they're so excited and, and, and thankful that, that we were able to spend that time. And then I also, and so that, that to me is like when, when someone chooses to, to continue partnering with you and working, it's, it's the most, I couldn't be prouder than that moment, right? Because it's like uh, that person chose to work with us, right? Out of all the other options out there. And that means the world to me. Uh, the other one, I was talking to a, 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 an engineer. I, I, I tried to skip levels and jump in and talk to people. This person is seeking for feedback, is seeking for growth. And, and maturity and it's like, and he goes, I need more actionable feedback. I need help. And, and the time that we spent together, he was so appreciative. And, and, and he was saying, what I'm looking for is that people tell me that my work is impactful on their lives. And I said, that's the same reason why I'm having this conversation with you. Right. And so, and, and I, those are like the moments that, that, that make it right. Because every other moment as an entrepreneur is just an up and down roller coaster. So those, those are the good ones you, you remember. One last and final question for both of you before we wrap it up. Uh, this one does not need to be rapid fire, but what advice would you give to founders and people leaders out there trying to make sense of this particular moment in history? How can they use this as an opportunity to build a better organization into the next chapter? For me, I would say like, keep a beginner's mindset. I think that's really important because we get stuck in our old ways, especially as we're, we're migrating what's happening, approach things from a new perspective. Yeah, it depends. I need a little bit more context on that question uh, for what stage, what founder, first time, second time, third time. I mean, I could go <laughs> on and on. I, I think one of them is that, you know, as founders, you, you have to be authentic. You have to be real. Like, there's just no no better way. Like, just people spot the bullshit so quickly. The other one is that, gosh, you just got to learn how to ask for help, you know, in all these issues because there's so many people out there that want to help to have a lot more experience. And, and I don't think founders use that help that, that is available to them, to advisors, to board members, to people in the communities, right? And, and instead, just bang their head against the wall just trying to figure this out. It's like the stuff just repeats over and over and right. over. This is why I always like say the wrong thing. It's like, it's like I don't know what the word is. Basic, simple. We're, we're not that complicated of human beings. We're human beings. We're not, you know, it's like as much as it's like we want just some simple, basic things. And, and so... You don't do them, people lose faith, right? And yeah. if people want to go seek it somewhere else. And so I think that if you don't go and if you don't understand those basic things, you know, which is like purpose, recognition, love, family, be heard, people looking to make an impact, 
it's just a lot of that stuff just starts around there. And you, if you don't pay attention to those things, you're never going to understand these people business, right? Uh, and so I would say to founders, you go back to the basics and figure that out. And if you don't understand people, you cannot understand products, right? We'll bring it full circle. Yep, absolutely. We'll build teams first. Teams first, products follow. Yeah. Thank you so very much for being with us here today. Thank you for leading authentically. It is so what the world needs right now. So thank you, both of you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. This episode was produced by Lattice in partnership with Pond People. Rachel King, Madison Lesby, Samantha Gatsik, and Mastering Done by Erica Huang. Learn more about how Lattice can help your business stay people-focused at Lattice.com or find us on Twitter at LatticeHQ. Don't forget to subscribe to All Hands wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time.